We pray blessings upon you as you join our Bible study, Already in Progress, taught by Sister Amanda Hamilton. The subject is, Can You Encourage Yourself? The text comes from 1 Samuel chapter 30. Be blessed in the Lord. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be able to just commune in your presence just one more time, God. I ask that you use this mouth of clay, God. I ask that you allow me to pour into your people what it is that you have poured into me, God, so much so that when I'm done, that I'm empty, Father. I pray that if there's anything that you would like for me to say that I have not written in my notes, God, I ask that you place it on my lips, Father, and let me speak those words, God. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are going to be coming from 1 Samuel today. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'll give everybody time to get there. And we're going to skip around throughout the whole chapter. It is a long chapter. And just say amen when you arrive. All right. Um, because we are going to skip around, I will stand and read the first few passages. And then um, we'll just go from there. So chapter 30, verse 1 says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive that wherein they slew not any either gray or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam and of the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, and Carmelite, y'all pray for those words. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar, the priest of Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar bought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And we'll just stop there for now. 
So in this chapter, David and his men are returning home. Once they discover that their homes are burned, their belongings are gone, and their families are gone, um, even David himself has, has taken a loss. The Bible says that his two wives were also gone. The Amalekites had come through and they left their mark in Ziglag. If we go back to chapter 15, you'll see that God had already told Saul in that chapter to annihilate the Amalekites. Um, he told Saul to totally destroy everything, men, women, infants, children, camels, destroy everything. Nothing was to be left. And God was angry at Saul because he had done an attack on Israel. And you'll just have to go back and read that for time's sake. We'll just skim through it. And Saul, um, he, was, he was angry with Saul, but Saul, after he didn't kill everything, but Saul, he goes and he does, you know, partially of what God had asked him to do. And he did kill some people there, but he spared the king, King Ahab. Um, Saul and his men kept the best of everything. So they kept the best lamb, the best sheep, the best camel, everything that was good they kept and everything that was partially weak or, you know, not the best, they destroyed that. Um, so God was not pleased with Saul. So when David and his men, they arrived to Ziglag after just traveling, you know, they think that they're going to come in and get this warm embrace for their family because they've been gone for so long and nothing is there. The men began to be angry at David because in every story you have a hero, but you also have to have a villain. And at this point of time, it shifts because now David is the villain. When really they should have been mad at Saul, if you really thought about it. Because had Saul done what he was supposed to do, the Amalekites would not have existed. A lot of times we go through things in life. Um, a lot of times, you know, we, we have all these hardships and these problems. Not because of something that we've done, but it simply could have been because of something somebody else did not do. Um, within the family, I like to think that it's a generational curse. And I'm, I just don't want to limit it to being family, but had Saul done what he was supposed to do, this is one problem that they would have been free of. Um, so regardless of what Saul did or didn't do, the Amicalites have destroyed Ziglag. And in verse 4, it says that David and the people um, with him lifted their voices and they began to mourn. They began to weep. The Bible says that they wept until they had no more power. I went over to the Amplified Version, and that version says that they wept until they were exhausted. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever cried to where you were just so tired? And not even limited to crying, but have you ever just gotten off work or, or just done some work and you were just plumb exhausted after the fact that you could not go and do anything else? Um, but, like I said, because every story has to have a villain, uh, the men were so exhausted, but not exhausted enough to point the blame. 
they had forgotten, or maybe they didn't even think about that David, too, had lost something. He had lost his two wives. And so, you know, the Bible did say that they cried until they were exhausted, but they still had enough strength, just a little bit of energy, to come together and hate David and plot his death. Because then it says that David was distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. The word distress caught my attention because it seems when it comes to David, he's used to being around distressed men. When he was running from Saul, he ran into a cave. And inside of that, inside of that cave, um, I believe that's over in chapter 22, inside of that cave, it was full of distressed men who were either in debt, they were in some type of trouble, you know, kind of like men's to society, um, the rejects, so you have it. And it was 400 of them, to be exact. And they appointed David, at that time, as their leader. That's important because you can't allow man to appoint you as anything. Because just as soon as you do something that they don't like, they turn on you. Man is fickle. And that's what they did to David. Um, in this moment. You know, they appointed him as their leader, and now that they're upset because they've lost everything that they had, they're plotting to kill him. When I read that, it makes me think about, you know, the same people that will pick up the phone and say they love you so much will be the same people who turn around and hate you the very next day simply because things didn't go their way. You know, the same people who will call you sis and bro will call you by your government name the next day because Things did not go the way that they expected them to go when it comes to you. Um, so there's nothing new there. Um, even though they had appointed David as their leader, God had already anointed him for something greater. So any plan or plot that they had for David surely would not have come to pass um, because it was just a plot. I'll stop right there. Anybody have anything to say? Anything they want to add about that so far? No? Okay. So, um, we move on, and, you know, the Bible says that, so now David is distressed because they want him dead. And it says in verse 6 that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So now this is where we get down to the good part and it's also where my topic comes in. Can you really encourage yourself in the Lord? You know, there is a song that we love to sing in church. Um, it's sung oh so beautifully. And the song says, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. But when we look at David and everything that he's gone through and the particular order that he does things in, can you really say that you are encouraging yourself. You know, what does that mean? What does that look like? When I think about David and all he has gone through up until this point, David was a, a fighting man. Um, if, if you look at his track record, David was, he was just that man. He was a man if you check out, you know, David's history, he, he was not to be played with. Um, in 1 Samuel 17, when he was a shepherd boy and he was tending to his father's sheep, you know, it says there that he had to fight a lion, then he had to fight a bear to protect the sheep, and then 
He goes on and he fights Goliath and then he runs through the wilderness escaping Saul. I imagine that in that moment of David encouraging himself, he had to run through God's resume and maybe just check his credit of all the things that he had bought him through thus far. You know, he's doing a mental checklist in his head. I imagine, you know, he, he had that moment of where he said, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like maybe he went through all of those verses. Maybe David was just at the point of encouraging himself where he, he told himself, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. You know, maybe David even said that, you know, God is my, it's a whole song. <laughs> it's a whole song of how David feels about God. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation in whom I shall fear. And whom shall I be afraid? So I imagine that David had to speak these things to himself and there's nothing wrong with that. What it looks like today is affirmations for us. You know, we'll get in the mirror and we'll tell ourselves, Today you're going to have a great day, you're beautiful, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's what it looks like for us today, you know, it's affirmation. Um, so I imagine that in that moment, that's what David was doing. But in order to encourage yourself in God, you have to be able to know what God says about you. You have to be able to know what God says about himself. And then you have to be in a position to hear from God. Anybody want to add anything to that? What does encouraging yourself look like to you? What what does what is that like when you have to encourage yourself?
speak words to me, but people who I know were also in their words. Um, a lot of times, you know, when, when I'm also trying to encourage myself, I do talk to myself and people think, you know, they'll probably look at me inside my head and think I'm crazy. And it's not that I'm just talking to myself, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit on the inside of me that is fueling my spirit man to move forward. Um, and, and a lot of people don't don't understand that. Uh, you know, they, they think, oh, well, she, she's talking to herself. And, and, and I am. I, I am talking to myself, but I'm also talking to the, to the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. So that's what encouraging um, myself looks like. You know, a lot of times when when we're trying to do that and then we, we get to the, the good part of, you know, well, I, I had this hard time and I encouraged myself in the Lord and, and, and this great thing happened. We never talk about the ugly side of it. What I like about this is even though David is the leader, this this verse shows that leaders go through things too. David had lost his wife. Two of them, he lost his wives. And so we like to think that leaders don't go through anything when they probably go through more than what we go through. Um, so I like that it shows this, this opposite side of David, right? It shows him being vulnerable. And whenever you can tell the ugly side, and you can also tell the other side of, it, of how you made it through that, that's always great to me. You know, a lot of people want to talk about their glory, but they never want to tell you about the grieving that they had to go through. Or they want to talk about the glory, but they never tell you about the gloom. You know, they, they talk about the praise, but they never want to tell you about the pain that happened before they got to the praise. Or they want to talk about the praise and never want to tell you about the problem. What I'm trying to say is it's not realistic. It's just not realistic. When I decided that I was going to live for God, I had gotten so used to sitting up in church and listening to all the testimony. You know, I woke up and God did this, or I had a new car to fall out the sky, and it was sitting out there in my driveway, and then here I am, barely making it to church because I need new tires and don't have enough money to afford it. And then I'm thinking, okay, God, well, what's wrong with me? Because it seems like I'm having to go and crawl and run through all of this hell, and they just wake up and they got this stuff sitting out there. It's not realistic. David mourning like his men were mourning, it makes it realistic as we read on through the story because you learn that he's not exempt. Um, anybody have anything to add to that before we move on? Anybody here? I have 
Um, I, I stopped at that moment and I asked myself um, throughout this study, and this is one of the studies that I did when we were out, I had conversations with David. Um, and so as I'm studying, I say, okay, David, why would you encourage yourself to move forward? Because if I would have came home and realized I had nothing left, I also would realize that, gosh, I got to start all the way over because I don't have anything. And so I say, all right, David, why would you encourage yourself? And I, I pretty much answered my own question because it says that when they arrived, there was nothing there. They had taken the women, the children, the men, everything was gone. But what I found very interesting about not having nothing left is that there was nothing left, not even dead bodies, which tells me that everybody was still alive somewhere, just not right there. Um, so that would have probably given David just a little bit more strength to um, encourage himself in the Lord and to keep on moving forward because even though it was not there, they were not dead um, because nobody's were left behind. So after David encouraged himself, um, he says to the priest, a man of God, to bring me the ephod. Now, I would like to stop here and say that he didn't have to call anybody to go fetch the priest. Um, the fact that David was able to mourn, get up, and say to the priest, bring me the ephod, let me know that it was a priest in his camp. And I say that to say that David had godly counsel around him. They were a part of his court. A priest was a part of his court. A priest is a person that proclaims the word of God. So David could have gotten the ephod himself, but he acknowledged the man, or should I say, or woman, but in this case, man. He acknowledged the man of God, and he respected godly counsel around him. Some of us can't even get to our next level because we refuse to acknowledge the man or woman of God that God has placed in our life to simply give us a word. I don't know why we simply think, and maybe, you know, some things you can. Some things you can go directly to God for. But there are some things that you definitely need to be in communication with your shepherds about. 
Um, and David did that. David showed honor to the priest who was in his camp, I believe, simply because he acknowledged him. And like I said, he could have went and got that by himself, but he didn't. He realized that the man of God was there in his camp that was surrounding him, and he asked him to bring it over to him. Um, an ephod is a garment that's used in ceremonies. The purpose of using it is to, you know, become close to God's will and, and to get God's oracle in a, in a difficult or trying circumstance. So even though, um, you know, David is who he is, he still realized that I just can't go to God any kind of way. You know, I think about all the times where I was upset or maybe I was angry about something and my little old big self had to learn to just go to God just like I was. I'm mad. I'm puffed up, right? Why you do this or why you didn't do that? Or you said it was going to be this many days and it ain't happening. You know, I, I go to God with this attitude, no respect, none whatsoever. Thank God he didn't strike me down with lightning and, and shut me up and put me in my place. Um, but even David knew that he could not go to God in any old type way, shape, form, or fashion, and so he put the ephod on. Um, so now we know that David has mourned, we know that he has encouraged himself in the Lord, and we know that he has acknowledged the man of God, and now he goes to God. The Bible says that David inquired inquired me to ask for information. And he says to God, shall I pursue? I like his wording right here because he didn't say, can I pursue? Can means to be able to. So will I be able to pursue? He didn't say that. He didn't say, will I pursue? Will meaning expressing the future. He said, shall I pursue? Shall meaning is expressing a strong intention. Two things, two points that I, I have with David's wording. Um, the shall I pursue was a prayer. A short prayer, but it, it definitely was um, a prayer when David went to God. Um, we do family devotions at our house. And we get our kids involved. You know, we have one read the scripture, we have one to pray. And one night it was my turn to pray. And I prayed. And Amari said to me, Mama, how did you do that? You know, how, how did you pray? It's, it's like you can pray without thinking. I can't pray like that. Um, and I tell, I told him, you know, usually, your, your prayer to God is your conversation with God. Usually when the children hear me pray is when I'm in church or when I'm walking around the house. And it's because I'm having to cover a multitude of things. So I have a lot to say. It's those moments when it's late in the midnight hour and I'm crying because I'm upset about something that he does not hear me pray. It's those moments when they have done something that, and it breaks my heart and the only prayer I can get out is, Lord, help my children. Or it's those moments to where I've backslidden and I've upset myself, you know, because I know I've disappointed God and I might say, you know, God, help me help myself. 
You know, it, it's those moments to where I don't have any words to say at all. And I'm literally in the bed just crying that they don't get a chance to witness. Those are my short prayers. When my husband was in the hospital, hey husband, when my husband was in the hospital, uh, not that first time, but that first time, you know, he was puffed up and full of himself. The second time he was in the hospital, um, I saw something. And when I read this story, I had to reflect on that. If you've ever been around him, he often says, Lord, have mercy on my soul. He could be having a good day, Lord, have mercy on my soul. A bad day, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Kids making mad, I'm probably upset. Lord, have mercy on my soul. It's something that he says often, a lot. So when he was in the hospital and he was in pain because he was in a sickle cell crisis, I heard him say it, Lord, have mercy on my soul. But as that pain started hitting, have mercy on my soul. It hit again. Have mercy, Lord. It hit again. Have mercy. And then I look at him at a certain point where there were no words and he would just be mm, rocking and shaking. See, those are the short prayers. Those are the prayers that the kids don't get a chance to witness all the time. Every prayer does not have to be long. When life starts to life and knocks you upside your head, you won't always be able to get out a long prayer. You might not be able to get out a moan. You might not be able to say anything at all. Um, but God, God knows, right? And, and he hears. He hears it all, right? It's a moan, it's a cry. You know, so Amari, that's for you. Uh, or anybody else who thinks that, oh, I don't pray like her, or I don't pray like him, or my prayers are not long. David did not have a long prayer. He simply said, shall I pursue? Um, another thing that I wanted to say about that with David and his choice of wording is he didn't have to give God a PowerPoint. Um, he didn't have to come and give God a, a blueprint of first I'm going to do this and first I'm going to do that and, and, and then I'm going to go and do this because shall means that he is expressing a strong intention. Because God answers his prayer, and he comes back and he says one word, pursue. Pursue means to continue or proceed along. Imagine being so in tune with God and being so aligned with God that all you have to do is have an intention, and your intention actually lines up with what God wants for you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Her God's intention, David's intention, aligned up with what God wanted because God told him to. He told him to pursue. Um, pursue and, and go ahead and go get all of your stuff, recover all, and you will do it without fail. When I read that, I thought about many, many years ago. My sister's house was robbed. And it's a small world because it was robbed by my husband's cousin. Um, so my husband's cousin robbed my sister's house. And she has the police to come out to the house. And the police get there, they do a report, and they make a list of all of her things that are stolen. 
and they call her a few days later and they say, Miss Lott, we were able to catch up with the guy that stole some of your things, um, but we were not able to get them all. So I imagine that after David encouraged himself and he spoke, you know, he prayed to God and God answered his prayer, he found a, a stronger encouragement in that. It was more confident because God told him without fail, recover all, everything. Um, that means that David knew he would arrive, get there, and everything that had been taken from him would be there. He wouldn't be missing anything. You know, maybe somebody needs to hear that if God says, that you're going to recover all everything that the devil stole from you, you will get it back. And I don't want to limit it to just material things, you know. If he's stolen your health, you will get that back. If it's a child that's, that's been lost, you know, out here in the world, you'll get that child back. It could be your peace. You'll get that back. If you've lost your mind, you'll get that back. Everything that the devil has stolen from you, if God says go and recover all of you, do it without fail, believe that. And I believe that that gave David a sense of a newfound strength, you know. He was able to go ahead and move forward. We move right along through the verses, and it says that after God told David that he would surely overtake them without fail, it says that David went. And let me pause for a second right there because I appreciate the fact that David went to God and asked him if he should pursue and go. Um, a lot of times we lose things, and I've done this before. A lot of times we lose things or, you know, things have been taken away from us, and we'll go get it, and now we're stuck with a big mess that we can't do absolutely nothing with because we weren't supposed to go get it in the first place. I like the fact that David consulted with God about what he was supposed to go get. You know, um, imagine what life would look like if we sought counsel for God on everything. Even the stuff that we thought that we lost. You know, if we just ask God, should I, should I go back and get that? Should I, should I go get that? Because if you don't do that, you'll be stuck with a mess, a big mess on your hand that you can't do absolutely nothing with because you were not supposed to go get it in the first place. So anyway, after um, after God responds to David and he tells him, you know, to recover all, it says that David went with 600 men that were with him, and they came to the brook of Bazaar, where um, those that were left stayed behind. But David pursued. David was on a mission. Um, when I read this about the 200 men that had to stay because they were so faint, I did notice, and I would like to mention, that the Bible did not say David went back and tried to encourage them to go over the group. It didn't say that. It did not say that David spoke to 50 of his men to come back across the group to try to take some of these men over with him. It said that 200 of the men could not go, and David and the other 400 pursued and went on anyway. How many times have we tried to pick up people 
meditation with us, and they were never meant to go in the first place. And then we have the nerve to have attachment to those people, right? Oh, man, he's been loyal to me since third grade. I remember that day in kindergarten, he gave me 50 cents a snack. Man, I knew he got to go. He got to go. Or dare I say, mm-mm, no, I, I got to take her. That's my mom, you know, or that's my sister. We, we grew up in the same house. Um, that, that, that's my brother. We, we got the same like, name. We have the nerve to have attachments to these people, and we can't get to the other side of the brook because we could be trying to help them over, and they were not supposed to go in the first place. Um, so I, I noticed that in that text, it did not say anything about David trying to go back over and bring anybody over the brook. So maybe that's a message for somebody right there, because when I read that, it did something for me. Get over the brook. And if they're not supposed to go, leave them there. Anybody have any comments? David saying, shall I pursue expressing his strong intention? Um, I do like the fact, and I also want to acknowledge that even after God told him to pursue, there was no back and forth between he and God. Honestly, he and God didn't, God didn't have anything else to say to him throughout the chapter. Um, a lot of times we'll pray for things and God will answer our prayers, and then we'll have the nerve to say, or God will say, okay, I'm going to do it, and then we'll have the nerve to say, okay, God, how you going to do it? And then when you going to do it? And then what is it going to look like? Okay, well, if I'm going to be able to go through that door, and the door ain't going to be closed to me, who's going to be on the other side of the door? And how they going to be able to help me? What I need to wear? What I'm supposed to have on? There was no back and forth in between David and God. God told David to pursue and that was David's intention to pursue. He was trying to move forward and go. And it says that the next, you know, the next part you read, David and his men, they, they went forward. So intentions are, are very well, um, need, yeah, they need to be said. Yes, ma'am. I always thought that 
also wanted to, to point out his humility. Um, as you stated, you can go to God, um, and we can question God, but there needs to be a respect. I, I like his humility and what it shows here, um, and it makes you look at a contrite spirit, that brokenness, that meekness, that humbleness that's necessary to get through to God versus pride and arrogance. Because a lot of times when we want things done and we want them to change, we go to God the wrong way. I like how um, back in verse 6, it, it talked about how distressed he was mm -hmm. and how grieved he was, but it also shows his humility. How he humbled down because he was a king. Um, so he had to humble himself and we have to be, we, we have to be aware of how we go about it. Anybody else? Okay. So we get down to verse 11, and we see that they have gone over the brook. David and the 400, they're still going to move forward and pursue. And it says that they found an Egyptian in the field, and they brought him to David and gave him bread. And he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake, um, cake of figs, and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread, nor drunk any water, three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom do you belong? Um, and when art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant to the Amalekites. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. And I'll stop right there. So just like we talked about, you have to be careful who you take with you, you also better be careful who you leave behind. Um, you better be careful who you leave behind. Because this man has played a major part in this story. Now God did not give David instruction, nor did David ask for instruction. God told David to pursue. David wanted to pursue because he asked. He went ahead and he pursued. There were no details in that conversation. But God uh, has a way of putting his finger and staring up the pot so good that he has placed the enemy in David's path to give David what he needs to go and recover all. And the only thing that the man asked, because David asked him, and I like to mention, after he fed him, and after he gave him water, and after his spirit was able to come to his, to back to his body, David didn't talk about him. He didn't say, oh, he picky. Oh, she been loose out here in the church, you know, in the world, and now she want to come in the church. Oh, he used to be a crackhead. You know, oh, he was a bad liar. He done cheated on his wife so many times. David fed him. He fed him. He fed him. He gave him food. He gave him water. He did not judge where he was. Didn't even know where the man was, where he was from, what, what camp he was from. And he asked him, you know, who are you? Who your people? Who your folks? The question we like to ask. 
And he said, I'm a part of the Amalekites. I feel sick and my master left me behind. And David asked him, you know, well, can you take me to where they are? And the Egyptian said to him, swear unto me by God that you won't kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will bring thee down to this company, which is why I say you have to be careful about the people you take with you, but you also need to be careful about the people you leave behind. I'm pretty sure that the master did not think about this um, when he left this man there ready to die. He had never written him off. Now, I wonder if he ever thought, you know, we've taken all of this stuff, would they ever come after it? I wonder if, if you know, the, the Amalekites had that thought. And I'm thinking, surely somebody thought that. Surely somebody. But I also think that if they would have known that this man did not die along the path to them, maybe they probably would have killed him. But they had to bring him off. All a part of the plan, it had to happen. So anyway, um, they're traveling along. The man shows them where they are. And when David and his men arrive there, um, the Amalekites are living their best lives, we like to say. They are eating and drinking and dancing and, um, you know, just having a good time because they've taken all of this spoil, you know, they've taken all of these things from the Philistines out of the land of Judah. And it says that David smote them from the twilight eve until the evening of the next day. Y'all, that's a long time to get your tail kicked. You hear me? That is a long time to be getting beat. And it says, um, and there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. Now, this ain't for everybody. This is for my husband. I would like to think that if somebody came and snatched me up, like they snatched up David two wives, that you'd be whooping somebody's tail from the evening until the next day come get me. Amen. Amen. All right. And it says that when David got these things, uh, when David, you know, did all this, that there was nothing lacking, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor any living thing that had been taken. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they had uh, drove before the other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men, which were faint, you know, they walk up and they're greeting David, and um, David saluted them, and he's ready to give them their portion back. Um, I don't care how good the story is. It's going to always be a problem when good is involved. Because the 400 men who went with David was like, wait a minute, David, what, what are you doing? They didn't even go with us. They, they, they didn't want to cross the water. They were too tired to go. And we went. We need to keep their portion 
They don't get any. And David says to them, first of all, this is God's. It was God who said that we could even go get it. It was God who allowed us to go get it. Um, and so first it, first it belongs to God. But what I find interesting about that is those 400 men prior to crossing that brook were ready to kill David. And now all of a sudden, he's the hero again. You know, he's led us. I'm, I'm glad that David was able to recognize God and acknowledge God first in this because there I could see where if he had not, it would have been a shift again of man putting him back on that pedestal. It would have been a shift of man putting him back on that platform, which is why I say man is so fickle because he was up here and then something happened that they didn't like and they put him down here, but now they're happy again and they put him back up here. It's not like that with God. It's not all that back and forth when it's with God, but man will do that to you. Um, anybody have anything to add to that or any comments that they would like to share? Anybody else have any comments? Okay. So after David tells them that it is the Lord that delivered them and preserved them and allowed them to go and get all of these things, the other 400 just simply wanted to give those men, their wife and their children, that's it. Uh, they didn't want them to have nothing else. And so, you know, David says to them, you know, no, we're not doing that. We're going to give them their portion as well. If you keep reading, it says that when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold a present for you um, of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. I like the fact that David even acknowledged the elders. We live in a time where you don't really see that as much. There is no respect. 
for the man and woman of God. There, there is no respect for the elders. Um, you can, you can count on one hand how many times you see people show respect versus disrespect. Um, but David made it a point to make sure that he presented them with what they had taken back from the enemy. And it says a lot about David's character. Um, you know, the Bible describes him as a man of God's own heart, after God's heart. So um, when, I, when I think about this story and I think about all that David has gone through um, as far as, you know, all the battles that he's had to fight, uh, listening to, you know, his, his crew, his, his men, talk about him as bad as they did. You know, they're talking about killing him, the up and down, the putting him up and down on the platform. When I think about all of that, and I think about what he ended up doing, um, it just makes me ask myself all over again, Amanda, do you really encourage yourself in the Lord? You know, um, a lot of times, I don't care how many times I stand in that mirror, and I say, you know, blessed is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Sometimes, sometimes, that just is not enough. It's just not. I can be honest with myself and say it. Maybe you can't. That's your business. But I can be honest with myself and say it. Sometimes even me reminding myself um, about the word of God is just not enough for me to move forward. Because in a lot of situations and under a lot of circumstances, um, I make them bigger than the God I serve. And so that's when I can pick up my phone or I can pick up those notes or, you know, I reach out. I reach out to the elders because I'm wise enough to know I don't know everything and somebody else might. So I, I, I pick up my phone and I, you know, I, I call Pastor Sheila or Pastor Jimmy or, you know, just like-minded people just to encourage myself a little bit more um, and work my faith muscle out, right? Because I believe muscle has memory. Uh, work my faith muscle out so that I can be like, you know what, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I was tripping for a moment. Let me move forward and, and go on. And so I, I want you to ask yourself that. Do you really encourage yourself in the Lord? Can we really encourage ourselves like David encouraged himself in God in order to go on? and do what he did. It shows the ugly side of it, and it shows the good side of it, which is why I said, I don't want to hear about your glory if you can't tell me about your glory. I don't want to hear about your praise if you can't tell me about the pain that you went through. I want to hear about how your dimes were not on time. I want to hear about how your nickels were filled. I want to hear about how your dollars did not holler. I want to hear about that before I hear about the check that cleared in the bank. I, I, you know, I, I, I want to hear the ugly side of it. Give me true testimony because that's what encourages people. Um, I think that's what encourages us the most. David had to go back and remember everything that God had brought him through. He thought about where he was and then God confirmed where he was going through his words, and that's exactly what happened. So the next time you find yourself in a, a tight spot and you are encouraging yourself with all of your affirmations or, you know, however it is you do for yourself, 
Um, ask yourself, am I really encouraging myself like David did? Am I going through the necessary protocols like David did? You know, he mourned. He had his moment and he fulfilled like Pastor she would say. Um, he went to the man of God and asked him for the ephod. The man of God gave it to him. He put it on. He went to God in prayer. He was able to hear from God. And then he was able to take action and move forward. So the very next time you find yourself in that situation, um, encourage yourself like David did. But make sure you do it the correct way, like David did. Go through the necessary channels, the correct protocols. You know, just don't be talking to the air. <laughs> make sure your prayers get past the ceiling. Um, and these are things that you have to do. So use this as a reference. I know I will. This was good for me in our time while we were away. I honestly thought that tonight I was going to be speaking about something else. But um, God kept bringing me back to this. I've been in this for a while. So I'll continue to study it and read. And I know we kind of went through it for um, time's sake because we didn't have other days to go through. But I encourage you to read all of this chapter. Read all of this chapter. And that is all I have.